Here we go, the official show on the Fist Stripes podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fist Stripes. This show brought to you by Symbol, the stock market for sports. On this podcast, we cover the Miami Marlins every day in our own way. Make sure you subscribe to this pod wherever you get your podcasts. Follow all our stuff on fishstripes.com and across all our many platforms where we create content for you. Recording this on the 4th of July. A happy holiday to everybody. Always a very dangerous day to be recording podcasts or any sort of content because you never know about the background noise. The fireworks could be going off relatively soon. The neighbors have friends and family over, but I'll try to get this one in. It's an important episode, if I do say so myself. Originally playing with the idea of putting this in article form, laying out the second half storylines for the Miami Marlins. Uh, Entering Sunday today, the Marlins were halfway through the season. 81 games down, 81 games to go comes right before the actual all-star break itself it's an important inflection point and for this marlins team that entered sunday at 35 and 46 11 games under 500 in last place in the division by a significant margin even further back of the wild card um you need to get creative with what you're following with this team because a, a run to the postseason is almost it's almost impossible at this point a lot has to go right And for me, I just wanted to pick out a lot of things that could go right and make you very happy, regardless of whether this team gets back into the mix one way or the other. Uh, So the show was supposed to be about these big picture topics, but the elephants in the room, uh, I absolutely have to at least comment on what happened on Sunday. The Marlins going for what would have been a series win against the Braves. They had beaten the Braves in each of their previous two series this year. And just a quick review, if you fortunately uh, didn't subject yourself to this uh, four-plus-hour epic game, Um, not not a fond game for Marlins fans, but certainly a very notable game in this Major League season, Um, the Braves jumped out in front against Zach Thompson. Who else? Ronald Acuna Jr. with uh, the go-ahead home run in the early innings and the second inning. Thompson really settled down from there. And he continues to be very impressive now through the first five starts of his career, misses a lot of bats, and outside of that Acuna shot, he rarely allows base runners. So Thompson was fine in this game with six strong innings. Uh, Charlie Morton looked even better early on, and uh, the Braves were up 5-1 to two to one entering the sixth inning because of Morton's swing and miss excellence. And then they really quickly turned this game around. Uh, Marte got on base, Aguilar got on base, and then Adam Duvall does what Duvall does when he is in Atlanta. And a fly ball out to left center field, hit well, carrying, and gone! Three-run home run, Adam Duvall! He gets his former club again, and the Marlins jump in front. It ends up being a three-hit game for Duvall, plus several great defensive plays. Uh, they, they put the team on top right there, 4-2 to two at that moment. They padded on three more runs in the top of the ninth. It looked like they were in command. It was a question as to whether they would even go to Yimmy Garcia in the bottom of the ninth, considering that it was technically a non-safe situation. They did go to Yimmy, who was pretty good the previous day, closing out the game. He was not good in this one. He actually allows seven base runners in one inning. It's a little bit fraudulent stat line because of the intentional walks. But, I mean, there's no way to slice it. He was bad in this one. Had his usual velocity, but 
you either it just the movement wasn't quite where he needed it to be the command wasn't there and he was getting hit and getting hit hard by some pretty lousy hitters on the Braves team and it's ultimately Acuna again that hits that sacrifice fly to tie it up in the bottom of the ninth in the 10th inning Anthony Bass takes the mound he struggles he almost gets bailed out by um, an incredible kind of a lucky but also some credit to him uh, surprisingly awesome defensive play to knock down a run at home plate in the bottom of the 10th, but then he ends up losing it anyway by giving up a walk-off bases-loaded single to pinch hitter and normally a pitcher, Max Freed. Bass brings home a 3-1 pitch and Freed into center field. Marte can't get there, and the Braves walk it off for a second time today. Just doing a quick thought exercise, I had this as the second most devastating loss of the season, right behind that one of those Pittsburgh walk-off losses where they had a similar lead in the late innings and uh, melted it down, ended up losing that one as well a couple road trips ago. So I'd have this really right up there. It's definitely in the top tier of most crushing losses of the season and drops the Marlins to 35 and 47. There are some maniacs out there advocating for Don Mattingly's dismissal. He did not make manage a good game. He did wait way too long for Yimmy in this spot. There's no reason why he had to wait for Yimmy to give up the entire lead before taking him out. Um, but that's something we've known about Mattingly for now six years. I mean, this is who he is. He, he has that knack for sticking with relievers probably longer than he should, even when realizing they don't, they aren't on top of their game. He had really limited flexibility though, because the pen was depleted the previous two nights. Uh, obviously for due to that Pablo Lopez ejection on Friday that caught up with them. You know, that was the reason why Dylan Floro was not available in this one. Why Ross Detweiler wasn't like, there weren't all that many other options for that, those final few outs. I mean, would you have felt more comfortable with Bass coming in in that situation, especially if he had to come in mid-inning with inherited runners? No. Um, Anthony Bender calls for him to be moved into the closer's role. He totally, you know, re-earned all of my confidence this weekend. He faced nine batters in two appearances, and he struck out eight. It's almost unheard of level of dominance this weekend against some very good Braves hitters, including in this appearance in the eighth inning, he went through the top of their order. He struck out Acuna, and uh, he struck out Albies in this end, in that inning. And Albies was, frankly, the hottest hitter on this Braves team um, in recent weeks. And he went through both of them on a twice in the same series. Like, So there have been calls for him to be moved into the closer's role, but I don't see how that would not have altered, you know, the trajectory of this game all that much, in my opinion, because I guess if you flip him, Yimmy gets the eighth inning against those tough hitters. The Yimmy Garcia experience boils down to this. If you watch him pitch four games, two of those, he will be lights out. Dominance, you'll never understand how anybody gets a hit off of him. You'll have all the trust in the world in him seeing two out of four games. In one out of four, he'll be a little bit off his game, but just that quality of his stuff, his ability to use three, sometimes four different pitches, the talent will kind of override any of the other issues in his performance, and he'll be able to get the job done anyway. And then one out of four games, he struggles. Um, it doesn't matter if it's a safe situation, a non-safe situation, whether it really matters to the game or not. It's really like one out of every four, he's just going to be off his game, and he it's not always going to be this same stat line, but it's going to be disappointing. He's inconsistent. You know, probably three out of those four games, he gets the job done some way, somehow, and then the fourth down, he doesn't. He's had a nice run with the Marlins going back to last year. 
Um, I don't think there's any big flaw in him mentally. I don't think there's any substantial splits about him that that really jump out to you. It's just that he has some inconsistencies to him, as many relievers do, and um, that I do wonder how much value he'll actually have coming up on the trade deadline in a few weeks. Uh, this is the final year of that he has prior to free agency. The Marlins will try to unload him, but they won't be able to hide the fact that he just is you know, inconsistent, and I don't think he'd be closing games with any other team. We had the full recap of this game on fishstripes.com, so I'm not going to dwell on it much longer. Actually, I'll, I'll throw it over to Tommy Hudden on Valley Sports Florida. He had a very concise recap of where things were and when, where things ended up. Today, uh, before that ninth inning, I had a nice sheet of paper with a lot of the positive stuff. That's what I had to do. Tommy is a legend. What more can I say about that? We'll get back to my second half storylines about the Marlins after this, reminding you that we are proudly partnered with Symbol, the stock market for sports. Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. A huge week for Symbol, introducing college football team stocks to go along with what they already offer for MLB, NFL, NBA teams. The selection keeps growing. And it's just an awesome platform, a fun platform, and one that they like you to use responsibly by providing analysis about exactly where all these trends are heading so that you can make a profit from sharing with other users. Now, closing in on 3,000 early adopters who have already started to invest. Symbol.app is the website, www.simbull.app. You go there to create your free account, make your first deposit using promo code FISHSTRIPES, all one word, for a $10 bonus. The current Sim Marlins share price is exactly $28.52. Visit symbol.app, promo code FISHSTRIPES when you make your first deposit to get a $10 bonus to help build your portfolio. Invest in what you know, invest in sports. 80 games to go with this Marlins regular season, less than three months of baseball, but it will feel like an eternity if you're following along closely. You know me, I'm not a shill for this Marlins team. I'm not going to give you false expectations or anything. I'm not going to force you to watch it, but I do find them to be legitimately interesting that no matter what happened this year, I entered it feeling it'd be very fascinating and critical to the trajectory of the organization, and I still feel that way. The original thought was that this would be a Major League Baseball only a list of storylines, but now that I look at it, the minor league affiliates line up in a similar fashion. We're right around the halfway mark of the minor league season as well, so I've thrown in a lot of notes about those prospects and affiliates that I hope you guys find kind of interesting, and I included some things in here as well that were brought up on Twitter when I floated this idea on Twitter a few days prior to now. Uh, the number one storyline with the Marlins in the second half of the season, and please pardon my language, is what the fuck is going on with Sixto Sanchez? He was somewhat of a big storyline in the first half of the season, even though he didn't pitch um, because of questions about how his rehab is progressing from a shoulder injury. Um, initially, what was it? Inflammation in the back of his shoulder. Uh, he started to come back from that and then was diagnosed with brucitis in that shoulder. And it started to come back from that. You know, the very last update we have um, from a few days ago was that he was throwing at 120 feet, um, not even on a mound yet. The Marlins will in all likelihood, be providing an update on him on Monday or Tuesday, sometime soon is usually how it goes with these things. We need to see him because 
we you turn back the clock about six months prior to spring training, he was you know the leading contender to be the face of this organization. He was the consensus top prospect based on what he showed in the majors in 2020. He had all the tools to do it. He had age on his side. And uh, I mean, even in spring training, he was pushed behind schedule, but he, he showed a very promising stuff there as well. And his value, if nothing else, even if you didn't believe in him as being exactly what he was all hyped up to be, that he is someone that had immense value across the eight, the across the league and across baseball. If the Marlins, for whatever reason, felt they had enough pitching, if they had any concerns about whether his health-wise or his work ethic, whatever, he was someone that had huge value on the market and they could have flipped him to acquire something else. That huge bat you guys keep asking about. Like, no matter what, this first half has been a disaster. Whether you were a pro 6 or anti 6 person, the fact that he's just disappeared and that at, at this moment, I mean, the best case scenario is that he's pitching in the majors in the middle of August at this point. Uh, that's where it is because he's not particularly close to rehabbing. Um, all we can assume, we have to assume that it's not like a severe injury. The fact that he's been going through a throwing program a couple times during the first half of the season um, but he, he needs to like complete that throwing program. Um, the hope heading into 2021 is that he wasn't going. He was going to be on an innings limit regardless. They had these durability concerns about him, um, the lack of experience as well, going through a full major league season. His innings were going to be limited this year, but I saw it as an important stepping stone to him being that real full time starter in 2022. And now that plan is completely dashed at this point. Maybe he does make it back for the, to the majors this year, but it's only going to be for, at most, you know, the final quarter of the season. It won't really be all that much more of a workload than he had last year in 2020, which means that it really pushes everything back with him. As I've mentioned before, there are some service time things going on here. I'm not going to dive too much into this one storyline because there's about 20 others, but this is the biggest one to me. It is Sixto. It is Sixto because of how much... Everything, because of everything, the talent that he has, uh, what the value that he has to other teams that the Marlins don't appreciate him, and of course, the impact that he could have with the Marlins. He could be, he has the potential to be just as good as what we've seen from these guys this year atop the rotation in Trevor and Sandy and Pablo. If this is a guy they trust, if they if he gets back to 100% at some point during the second half of the year, and you go into next year with those four on top of your rotation, then there are limitless possibilities to what they can accomplish next year. Uh, the other big storyline to me is going to be the sticky stuff in baseball that has now been for several weeks being checked on all pitchers that go in and out of the game across Major League Baseball. Um, I named some names uh, on a recent episode. I'm not going to bother going into that again of a few notable Marlins pitchers who saw significant changes to their spin rate once this went into effect and how they adjusted to that or in the process of adjusting to it. It's going to continue to be a storyline at all levels of the organization because they check in the minor leagues as well. But with spin rates down, we've seen offenses up across uh, baseball. We've seen that you know up close in Marlins games recently as well. And, um, it is a slightly different game moving forward than it was during April, May, and for the first half of June without this sticky stuff being allowed on the mound in baseball games. Next up, we have to shout out the all-star Trevor Rogers. As announced on Sunday night on ESPN, we've been anticipating this for really an entire month, like since early June. 
I thought he had this locked up. All he had to do was avoid injury, and Trevor was going to be an all-star. He's continued to be freakishly consistent, not allowing more than three runs in any start this season. Uh, whatever number you choose, he's one of the best pitchers in the National League. Uh, whether or not he's the true quote-unquote ace of the Marlins rotation, that's up for debate, but that's a great problem to have. Uh, so with him, um, I want to see, of course, whether he can finish off this rookie of the year race. I would handicap it right now at about a 75% chance that he wins rookie of the year. It's very unusual to get this far into the year and feel so confident about someone that's going to win that award. It's a very privileged position to be in. It's not a lock though. 75 is not a hundred. Uh, I mean, the Marlins win probability entering like the ninth inning today that when it was four to three, their win probability was probably about 75%. And look what happens. It's not a guarantee. So it's going to be interesting to watch a bunch of people, of course, mentioned Trevor on Twitter. Um, MIA sports minute, the green veggie, Alex Murphy, 1824, Jay already know 10, all these people thought he was a key storyline to follow how he finishes off this year. Um, just most important thing is to avoid injury. We know he's not going to make like 30, 31 starts. He's not going to go the entire distance. We think they're either going to kind of limit his workload on certain starts, or they're going to shut him down a little bit early, uh, because he's never gone through this kind of season like it. He's been, of course, the biggest breakout star on the team this year. Um, and there were high expectations for him, but he has exceeded those. So rookie of the year race with Trevor, uh, and how exactly he holds up as the rest of the season goes on right behind him as a storyline jazz chisholm jr specifically how he is barreling the ball or not barreling the ball as of late that was a standout aspect of his game in april you remember all the hype about him uh, as an emerging superstar i always hesitated to use that word um that he is someone that throughout his prospect career certain aspects of his offensive approach and his selectivity made you like worry that he could be a streaky hitter and that has proven to be the case what was so exciting about early in the year is just how often he was barreling the ball that you could play it doesn't matter where you play you could play in Lone Depot Park you could play on a I can't think of an example but a planet that has super strong gravity um, that you can play anywhere if you're barreling the ball good things are almost always going to happen and he had according to Statcast, and as researched by Baseball Savant, as defined by Statcast, a barrel. He had nine of these barrels during April alone before his first ankle injury, and that was about less than one third of his season. He came back from those injuries relatively quickly, but has only had five barrels since then. So nine in April, only five barrels in May, June, and so far the first few days of July. And that has brought him back down to earth. He's still above league average for the season in terms of how often he barrels the ball. Um, most of those turn into home runs. If they're not home runs, they're extra base hits. If they're not extra base hits, they could be sack productive outs. Like Good things happen when you hit the ball that hard and in the air. And he needs to get back to doing that. There are always going to be strikeouts in his game. We've seen that his uh, defense is a little bit inconsistent, even at second base, and especially at shortstop. But as long as he is so athletic, uh, as long as he still has his confidence, and as long as he is barreling the ball at a very high rate, he has the quick hands um, to be 25, 30 home run hitter at the very least. And to get that from a middle infielder, regardless of anything else, is going to make him immensely valuable. That'll be a key to watch is whether he can get back to, you know, jumping on those pitches and doing as much damage for power as he was early in the season. On a related note, a guy in a similar position, Jesus Sanchez, um, who we've now seen 
during this stretch for about, what, three weeks or so, where he's been playing pretty much every single day as the team's left fielder. And uh, the overall stats are not even as good as Jazz's to this point, but still early with him. And he has shown even probably even more consistently than Jazz that he does hit the ball hard. Um, That's exciting to see. And I don't really have any doubts about that. But the storyline to me about Jesus is going to be his defense. Um, He does... He's a little awkward defensively. He's kind of like over hyper. I describe him as a hyper outfielder, <laughs> and he tends to make um, some athletic plays out there. But he also makes some really head scratchers uh, where his route isn't the right way, or uh, he doesn't quite settle underneath the ball the way he should. Unforced errors that he sometimes makes out there on defense. Uh, left field, I've mentioned this on the side, is relatively new position for Jesus. You know, most of his minor league career, he was in right field. Uh, the bigger question to me is whether he could actually play center field, whether they do uh, trade Starling Marte at some point to open up playing time over there, or if they don't trade him, then there's still the question of whether they can actually extend him to a new contract. There's a big question about whether who will play center field next year. And with him, I think the power is definitely going to be there long term. Um, the defense is a, is a big question, though, with him, because you could say you could talk your shit about Lewis Brinson or Magnera Sierra, but they are versatile plus defensive players. That's I think that's mainly the only reason why they are still even on the Marlins 40 man roster at this point. I'd love to see Jesus Sanchez become a complete player and become a legit asset defensively and someone that could potentially in emergencies play center field because, you know, that position is going to be wide open if they don't keep around starling sticking with the rookies anthony bender i wrote this down even before the fourth of july game even before this game i planned it out with anthony bender's leverage usage with the situations that they actually put him in because the success is undeniable um if he had been on the opening day roster he would have and had an april that was anything like his may and june and early july he would have a very strong case for being at the all-star game he's been that exceptional keeping the ball in the yard throwing strikes um and of course, he had that long score streak without allowing an earned run that was only snapped very recently. Like he's just been awesome, and they've used him in a wide variety of situations. Um, it, it's been really inconsistent with Mattingly because, in fact, one of his wor- first games as a Marlin was actually in a tie game uh, that he came into, um, and then. But since then, it's been kind of inconsistent. And it was good to see that on Sunday, even though it was a bad game for the team overall, that Bender was used in the perfect situation. He with a one-run lead in the eighth inning, he faced the toughest hitters in the Braves lineup, and he was successful. Swing and a miss. Anthony Bender does it again. Couple of strikeouts in the inning, and the Marlins hold on to their one-run lead. Anthony Bender will probably be moved into that closer's role, and whether he can carry on that success over there, because that's something they really need to figure out heading into 2022. It's almost as big a question to me as a center field, in in my opinion, is the closer's role. They've done a good job finding some of these like really useful relievers on the cheap, but there is that something extra that it takes to close games out on a consistent basis. Acquiring those quote-unquote proven closers in free agency, it can be very, very expensive, and the Marlins will want to avoid that. So hopefully Bender can prove to all of us that he is definitely that guy. Um, on the minor league side, kind of a across a, a blend of both, um, the big storyline that you always follow for a team that is likely not going to be in playoff contention is the emergence of even more new faces, major league debuts. We're going to get some more as this season goes on. 
The one who tops the list is Edward Cabrera. We were hoping to see him at some point in 2020 if he was fully healthy. Um, and he looks great here in uh, right now with AA Pensacola. He's just been exceptional. The stuff is all the way back after struggling with a nerve injury earlier this year. He, he's back, and he's almost he's pretty much built up now to be a full starter. So I don't even think it's all that long until he gets that opportunity to get called up. We know how much trouble the Marlins are in great shape, the top four of their rotation, but the, the fifth is a enormous question mark. At the moment, I guess Jordan Holloway by default is there. Almost everybody they've tried, though, um, outside of that, you know, they haven't been getting the job done. And we know Cabrera, they want him to be a starter, and they trust that he can be a starter at the major league level with his triple-digit fastball, with his really good slider and a really good changeup. I mean, he has the potential for three-plus pitches, uh, and he has the frame that you trust despite his injury history. He, I mean, he tops the list of the most anticipated debuts that we could see during the second half of the season. I would do want to mention Peyton Burdick, um, that I have reached a point where uh, I think there's a decent chance that he does make his debut this year. Someone that was just drafted in 2019. Um, out of that 2019 draft, the guy that we thought we'd see um, two years later would be J.J. Bleday, but his struggles have been um, very disappointing to this point in the season. Uh, things could turn around for him later on, but it doesn't seem to be any rush for him to get moved up. With Burdick, he's playing the best baseball of his season right now over these past few weeks. Got off to a kind of a slow start, but he's been hitting for power the entire way, and he's been trimming down his strikeout rate as of late from like the low 30s percent to about 25 percent. That makes a world of difference. Uh, I mean, that gets to the range where you can start to trust him to translate that against higher level competition. Uh, right now, he's playing against guys his own age as a 24-year-old in AA. He's played a lot of center field this year, um, played a bit of all three outfield spots. And we know most of all the Marlins are extremely high on him internally. There's reports by the Miami Herald that they did not want to trade him for potentially Wilson Contreras of the Cubs. That It sounded like Burdick could have been the centerpiece of a Contreras trade, uh, and the Marlins thought that was an overpay. And the way that it's progressed, um, you know, unfortunately, the Marlins it would have been nice to have Wilson on their team. It wouldn't have made much of a difference in the standings, though. And with, with Burdick, he has really surprised me a little bit. I've, I've been, let me be clear, that I've been impressed by him throughout his pro career. And I do believe he will have a substantial major league career. I'm just not totally sure whether he's an everyday starting outfielder. And um, he's progressing in a nice direction. So I think he may get that opportunity as this year goes on. Both those guys are like consensus top 15 prospects in the organization. Going a little more off the grid, Joe Dunand, who has missed almost, he missed about a month and a half of the year, even more than that, with a thumb injury, but he's finally on the mend. He just completed a rehab assignment with Jupiter. Going back to Jacksonville, he made really positive strides last year um, on his own to improve as a hitter and I'm, I can't wait to see those translate in the majors. I think there's a decent chance that he gets up because he will be Rule 5 draft eligible after the season. Um, he plays a few different infield positions. And, I mean, most importantly is the bat and the fact that he has tapped into some extra power that he didn't really have in um, 2018 or 2019. Bryson Bregman, friend of the podcast, he continues to be red hot at AAA. He plays a bunch of positions. I think even more than Dunant, it's easy to find a fit for Bregman on the Major League roster. Uh, a few weeks ago, the Marlins traded for Lorenzo Quintana, a 30-something Cuban catcher slash first baseman slash DH, um, and he's been doing all right in AAA. 
Um, if the Marlins do end up trading either Garrett Cooper or Jesus Aguilar or both, I guess if they trade both, then there's an obvious fit. You call up Lewin Diaz again and you call up Quintana and all that. Um, we'll see whether there's a fit or not, but that'd be a fun story for someone to break through this late in his baseball life. And on the reliever side, Tommy Eveld, um, he's been pretty great for AAA Jacksonville. Sean Gunther just got moved up to AAA a few weeks ago, and he has been lights out more so than any other reliever in the Marlins organization. He's been pitching like Bender. He's been pitching like Bender, but at AA and AAA. Drafted back in 2017, so not even part of this current administration. Um, he put up good numbers back in 2019, but that was against younger competition. Now, this year, there's not really that many caveats to it. He is just dominating at the highest levels of the minor league system. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see both of those guys at some point down the stretch. Sticking with the prospects on uh, the concerning side, Victor Victor Mesa's bat is a big storyline of this season. His minor league debut in 2019 was a disaster for someone that they invested $5.25 million in. Uh, you know, the most expensive international amateur free agent signing in team history. Um, and it was considered, I think anybody considered it a, a good move that at the very least he had the floor of being like a useful defense first center fielder. And unfortunately, he, he just made another great catch the other night on a Saturday. Now the 0-1. There's a swing and a base hit in the center. Oh, no, it's not. It's a dive by Mesa. He makes the play and the inning is over. He, he continues to play great defense, but the bat has been just awful awful um i mean i could throw the stats at you i'd rather not but almost a full season's worth of playing time uh first at jupiter in 2019 and now in pensacola this year 500 plus plate appearances he has no home runs he has 11 extra base hits he has 11 extra base hits in total over what accounts accounts for almost a full season when he gets on base he's an efficient base dealer as i said a good defender he actually won a minor league gold glove in 2019 but he's hitting he's in his worst slump of his uh, pro career at this point i mean it was it was ugly in 2019 but this year he's barely hitting over 100 he, now he did miss a lot of time due to injury an ankle injury and he just got back from that about what a week a week and a half ago they finally made a move in Pensacola to move him down in the batting order but prior to that they were putting him in at the leadoff spot um, catering to, I don't know what, his ego or a preference within the organization, but finally the green light to move him down so that the team has the chance to actually score runs. I think he's now coming up on his 25th birthday. Uh, he's, he's pretty far along here at this point. And um, if you're not producing at this age, you're playing against competition that is mostly younger than you, it's the, the, the history is very concerning. That comparable players to him just usually never get it together. Sticking with the Cuban players, um, another debut that we're looking forward to, a minor league baseball debut that we're anticipating during the second half of the Marlins season, is shortstop Yidi Cape. Um, there was initially some thought that he could be on the opening day roster of this Florida Complex League, the rookie-level league that opened up this week. He was not on that opening day roster, uh, so it's a question about whether he'll debut there or actually go down to the DR, because the Dominican Summer League starts up one week from Monday on July 12th. Um, so either way, his debut should be coming very, very soon. Uh, potential five-tool player. His comparisons very lofty to other superstar players. He is, I think, 18 years old at this point, turning 19 
relatively soon. So if they start him at a rookie level, he'll be facing some younger competition as well. I'm curious to see how he progresses, how he looks, obviously how he hits, and whether he makes it up potentially to full season ball to low A Jupiter by the end of the year. Um, with Griffin Conine, Griffin Conine leads the Marlins organization in home runs. The Well, the minor leagues. He doesn't have quite as many as Duvall does at the major league level. And I believe, as of this recording, he actually leads all of minor league baseball in home runs with Griffin Conine. What I'm focused on is his swinging strike rate. So despite his amazing production at Beloit this year, he's, he's been awesome. I've seen some cries for him to be promoted to AA Pensacola, which I don't think is going to happen until probably the end of the month, just because of how they need to move guys around at AA, at AAA, and in the majors. You know, it's kind of a domino effect where you need to open up actual playing time so that he doesn't block other like very important players from getting their at-bats in the outfield. Uh, Conine, he's having a great production this season, but the red flag in terms of whether that will translate to the majors is his swinging strike rate. He's facing pretty much half competition that is younger than him, half that is older than him, and one out of every five times that he swings the bat, he whiffs on it. Uh, so I just went through the Fangraphs leaderboards uh, in some recent years, went to 2016, 2017, and 2018, and I looked at guys that were at a similar level as Conine, at the high A level, and you go through the names of qualified hitters that were strike that were swinging and missing around 20% of the time, I didn't recognize any of the names. These guys, if you swing and miss as often as Conine does at the high A level against competition that is your age or slightly younger, you don't have success in the majors. Um, that you're just not going to be able to hit when once you get to double A AA and triple A uh, because the quality of stuff gets better. Uh, his strikeout rate is slightly improved from where it was his last year in the Blue Jays organization in 2019. Um, the, no matter what, it's, there's not as much pressure on him as there is on, say, Victor Victor Mesa, of course, um, at this stage of his career. But he does, I believe, have Rule 5 draft eligibility at this offseason. I'll have to double check on that. But the Marlins may need to make a call on whether to protect him on the 40-man or not. And a, a key aspect of that will be, as long as he's productive, that will be fine. But again, the the big goal here is, of course, to have him in the majors uh, wearing the same uniform that his father wore. And to do that, he'll need to cut down on that swinging strike rate. Uh, at the major league level, again, um, off the field, technically, I'm concerned, concerned but not really curious about Lone Depot Park attendance down the stretch. I hope to have an article out. Uh, some things have gotten in the way of me putting together this article, speculating about what the attendance could look like now that it's open to full capacity starting on Monday. Starting with this homestand, they, for the first time this season, are kind of opening up the seating to be back to quote-unquote normal. And what is the draw going to be like? Um, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I mean, this devastating loss on Sunday aside, you know, the team is where it is, where the playoffs are not really a part of your plans. I don't, I don't think anybody has that intention with them. Um, but at the same time, we've been the better part of a year and a half without having normal 
sports experiences at stadiums due to COVID concerns. And finally, we've reached a point where you can move past that. Uh, a lot of fans haven't been able to attend Marlins games since 2019. Will they take advantage of this opportunity um, because of some of the young stars we already mentioned on here, Trevor and Jazz and Sanchez and even Anthony Bender? Do you think a few people will go to games to see Anthony Bender pitch? Uh, I think so. Um, I, I'm curious what that attendance looks like and uh, whether how it compares to what it was like before the pandemic. Uh, this team is much better than the 2019 team for sure, and much more intriguing on an individual level. So I feel like the attendance should be getting a big boost from that. Um, And they surely do. The team has a lot of special promotions planned that they've been saving for when they can finally, you know, get the most value out of them. Uh, We'll see how those perform uh, at Lone Depot Park. Um, So I'm curious to see that, uh, not just the the size of the crowd, but also, of course, the consequences that has on the Marlins payroll. Bruce Sherman, Derek Jeter, if either of you are listening to the show, if somebody close to you is listening to the show, I'll be very clear that when you have a $60 million payroll, as you did entering 2021, you're not going to contend for a World Series with a $60 million payroll. You're not going to contend with a $70 million, an $80 million payroll. Uh, I think at the very least, this team will have to spend at least but 50% more on major league players, $90 million or more to get in that conversation of being a world series contender. If that's what ownership is really in this and all, all about and hyper competitive, they're going to need to spend more money on this major league team And their counter to me saying that would be, well, we'll spend based on what our revenue is that we can only spend the money that we're, we're earning to reinvest into the team. Uh, and a big factor in how they, how much money goes back into the team is, how much revenue they make from attendance. And again, my counter to that counter is they need to make the ballpark experience very enjoyable uh, in order for people to want to go to the park at a time when the team is a, do- is a dozen games under the 500 mark. So that's going to be an interesting balance to see how much fans want to see these games versus uh, yeah, what the Marlins are willing to do to attract fans to these games and how much it has all, how much of an impact it has on the bottom line as we head into what is going to be an absolutely crucial 2021-2022 offseason. A a topic that's probably been on your mind that we haven't even gotten to yet, but saving it towards the end, is the contract extension negotiation possibilities with players, which these guys are finally going to get paid. We're, you know, it was towards the end of the 2019 season when the Marlins extended Miggy Rowe, when they extended Don Mattingly, and we'll get to both of them in just a few moments, um, that they're not adverse to negotiating these deals during season and especially now I, I feel like there is a, a hope of in some cases for them to negotiate feel good contract extensions to help with fan morale also help with these players peace of mind and also just to show that you're willing to use some of this wide swath of play payroll flexibility that you have and actually start filling in the faces to what your payroll is going to look like uh, through the first half of the 2020s. Um, with these negotiations, the first name that comes to mind, of course, is Starling Marte, uh, but he's the one that I feel is most unlikely to be able to hammer out a deal with because he's entering free agency for the first time in his career. He's having arguably the best season of his career when he's been healthy. I don't think they're going to be able to find common ground on that until he actually tests the market. Moving down the list, there are some other deals that I think are very important for them to consider hammering out because you have 
Brian Anderson getting another year into his arbitration eligibility. You have Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez being arbitration eligible for the first time and due to get their first big pay bump in the first time. And that's a stage of a career where usually um, you start locking up these players. You begin to uh, extend your team control beyond what you can get through arbitration. And also you, you try to give them a finite salary so that potentially you can save in the long term if those players continue to be consistently good like these are the the obvious candidates to extend uh, beyond the 2021 season um this team they just have so much flexibility uh on their books beyond this current season and if you genuinely believe in some of the players in this organization right now if you believe they are building towards being a contending team and that um a lot of these familiar faces could be part of the solution then you prove it. Then you prove it, and you lock them up to a certain deal. That that'll be crucial for them to consider doing that and give themselves some cost certainty. And that'd be obviously very popular along the fans to have some continuity. This franchise, uh, the common thread of this franchise through all the ownerships and all the front offices and managers has been a lack of continuity. So that'd be nice to finally turn the corner on that. Specifically, we need to go into Miguel Rojas. He has a vesting option in his contract that I'll be focused on. If he makes 500 plate appearances this season, it's an automatic deal that goes into place for next year um, based on uh, what he previously negotiated. If he doesn't qualify for the vesting option, it becomes a club option, and the team can decide whether or not to keep him or not. So that club option is $5.5 million. If he doesn't reach it in the team, they can buy him out for 500 grand. And again, it does become a club option, even if he doesn't qualify for the vesting portion of it. But I think that playing time is going to be fascinating to observe because at this moment, he's almost exactly on pace for 500. He missed that time due to the finger injury. And uh, you know how the Marlins manage things where nobody is a true everyday player with the exception of maybe Starling Marte that Miggy gets like a day off almost every single week uh, to keep him fresh. So because of that, it's no sure thing that he's going to reach this threshold of 500 plate appearances, even more so when you consider that you know they lowered him in the batting lineup now that both Starling and Jazz are healthy at the same time, that if Miggy is going to bat in the fifth spot or the sixth spot regularly, he gets less plate appearances than he would at the top of the order. That will come down to the wire. On the positive side, uh, I am excited to see him continue climbing up in the Marlins record books in terms of games played, he's already 10th in Marlins history in career games played. I bet you did not realize that. Top 10 all time in Marlins history. That's why people are so attached to him. Um, one of the many reasons is because at this point, he really is in that inner inner circle of guys who have been with this organization a long time. He is on the hits list. He has the potential to be all the way up to number 14 by the end of the year. Some of the names that he is with on the hits list would really surprise you for a guy that is a defensive first player. Even at this stage of his career, the first thing that comes to mind with him is how he plays defensively. That is the strength of his game. And yet, because of his time in the organization and because that he has consistently gotten better with the bat, he is 18th on the all-times hit list right now. Next up is Gary Sheffield, 18 hits away ahead of him. And then it's a small gap to a Danny Hatchaferia, Preston Wilson, and JT Real Muto. JT Real Muto at 555 hits in a Marlins uniform. Miguel Rojas at 520. He will close that gap um, potentially in August, uh, September at the latest. 
to move into 14th place on the all-time organization's hit list. He has come so far from where he was when the Marlins originally acquired him. Finishing up on the storylines, we have to look into Don Mattingly's job security. Uh, many people have brought this up in light of recent events, but even before that, my deputy editor, Louis Adio Weiss, wanted me to cover this. He, like Mickey, has this potential club option in his contract. It doesn't have the vesting part of it, but the team could simply pick up his club option for two-point-something million dollars next year if they choose to, um, and they might choose not to. There's no reason why they would actually get rid of him during the season. I'll be very clear about that. Um, it makes no sense. It makes no sense to dismiss him at this point. It's been, but there have been some things that you know make you question whether he's the right guy. The ongoing handling of the bullpen, uh, pulling guys too soon, putting guys in situations that they don't necessarily belong in. There's no doubt that that has been a factor in why the team has a plus 20 run differential, top five run differential in the National League and what, a bottom six record in the National League? Because why there's such a contrast between their expected winning percentage based on runs scored and runs allowed and their actual winning percentage, he's not had a good year in terms of in-game maneuvering. Some of that's been limited by the talent that he has, um, but in terms of both the bullpen uh, and pinch hitters and whatnot, it's been, yeah, it's been really bad. It's been really bad, and he'll need to do better with that. Otherwise, there are other directions that could go. They could go internally with James Rousen as their manager. That's the guy that I circled as a potential manager in waiting as soon as he was brought along as their bench coach. Or, I mean, there are plenty of other options out there that might find this to be a desirable job because of all the young talent out there. And uh, for the moment, relatively low expectations with him. So it's very close to follow with Mattingly's managerial security. Uh, he is by far the longest tenured manager this team has ever had, and he's been extremely popular with players, with the fans, with the media. He's an extraordinary guy. You just wonder whether he is the right guy to be in a leadership position as they try to make that leap into consistent playoff contention. And finally, uh, this one, uh, I hope it's not a close call. Hopefully we get there sooner rather than later. 10,000 followers on the Fish Stripes Twitter account. We are closing in very closely on 9,900. I think almost all of you, if you use Twitter, maybe you already follow Fish Stripes already. If not, please spread the word. That'd be a nice milestone to get to. A huge growth, I think quadrupling where we were where I, when I took over the Fish Stripes account um, during the 2017-2018 offseason. We hope we bring you a lot of fun coverage there, uh, even in addition to what we have on the regular site and on the podcast and all that stuff. Uh, I bring that up just as a feeling of gratitude about how big this community is, you know, regardless of how things are going. I feel like we find interesting stuff to uh, stay entertained and very niche topics to dive into, um, whether they're, they're silly or they're serious that there's always Marlins coverage throughout the season, throughout the second half of the season, and uh, all the off days in between that we'll we'll find ways to make this very interesting. So here we go. The second half of this Marlins season, one more week until the All-Star break, and then um, we go through it the rest of the way. Most of this month on the podcast on the side is going to be dedicated to the trade deadline. It's a sprint to that point, and then there's still going to be baseball after that. But we will have plenty overwhelming trade deadline coverage of the Marlins. I'm Eli Sussman. This show brought to you by Symbol, the stock market for sports. And continue following along with what we do here. And we'll continue listening to what you want covered about this Marlins team 
as we head into the final 80 games of the 2021 regular season. As always, go fish! Go fish!